you all know by now, our little community here is in the international spotlight again. We've lost one of our own, Kayla Mueller, held hostage by ISIS and confirmed to be dead this week. This Wednesday at 6.30, the town's going to gather together on the square. Her reverend, her brother, and several local pastors are going to be sharing at a candlelight memorial, and I hope you'll come uh, grieve and mourn and heal with the community. But there was a quote uh, that Kayla said that's been, been going around that I found powerful this week. She said, I find God in the suffering eyes reflected in mine. If this is how you are revealed to me, this is how I will forever seek you. Now read that, and what I hear her saying is, when we look in the eyes of suffering individuals in our world, those people are created in the image of God. And he loves them dearly. And She went to be there for such folks. I, I read one story that in the middle of war zones in the Middle East, one of the things she spent her time doing was getting little children safely to and from school. What a beautiful picture of the love of Jesus for the suffering in our world. And we see that same love in Jesus himself in the passage that we're going to look at today. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, if you have your Bible. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. I want to bring out a couple ideas out of this passage as I look at Jesus' love for the suffering and the broken. The first idea I want to bring out is that Jesus cared more about his Father's mission of mercy than, one, than what anyone else around him thought. He cared more about that mission of mercy from his Father than what the people around him thought. And we know that in one direction here, right? We know that, and we, we've heard this enough, that Jesus didn't care what the Pharisees thought about this woman coming into this meal. And there was actually a tradition that, hey, if there are needy people, they're allowed to come into these feasts. They're allowed to come in and get some food if they're needy. So that wasn't uncommon. What was uncommon was that uh, Jesus would engage this woman in conversation, as we're going to see. That was forbidden for a rabbi in public. What was also possibly viewed as scandalous was people didn't sit in chairs like this at tables in that day. You notice it said he reclined at the table. So the common position around a table that was very low was to lean on a cushion and have your feet sort of away from the table and your head towards the table. And the common anointing process in that day was to anoint the head. So you can imagine that as the Pharisee looked at this sinful woman coming in and anointing Jesus' feet and, 
and wiping his feet with their hair, all the judgmental thoughts he's thinking, how, how sensual this is. How, how could he dare allow this from anyone, much less this sinful woman? The Bible doesn't tell us what her sin was, but to get that kind of reputation in town, you can guess it was probably more than just cheating on her taxes. But Jesus didn't care. He allowed her to come in and pour this oil on his feet and and to wipe his feet with her hair. He didn't care that way because he cared more about his father's mission of mercy. But I want to show you another way that he didn't care what people thought. Do you notice what the first line was that we often read so quickly? When one of the, who invited him? Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them. What was his response? He went. Now it doesn't say, but can't you imagine some of Jesus' disciples saying, Jesus, every time you talk with this guys, these guys, there's a fight. It, they're, they're trying to trap you. They're, many of them are not listening. What, the, what many would probably want Jesus to do, I guess his disciples would want him to say, write off all the Pharisees because you've had some <laughs> negative interactions with some of them. But Jesus refused to do that. The beauty of Jesus' mission of mercy is that not only did he love the, the woman who was a sinner, he loved the religious sinners as well. He saw the Pharisees as individuals. He saw Simon as an individual. And I take something from that. Uh, I, I find it interesting sometimes as we look at missional movements in church today. There's a good thrust towards those who still have not yet come to Jesus, that we need to go where they are and love them and show his grace to them and speak the hope and life of Jesus to them. But sometimes what I see happen is some of the same people that preach that have zero grace for the people inside the church world. Because I got all kinds of grace for the blatant sinner, but you dare disagree with me on one small point of theology, and it's a Facebook debate that lights up for for months. And I'm going to assassinate your character and just assume all sorts of evil things about you. I, I think what we see here is that we need to have as much grace and mercy and love for the religious sinners... Some of us are in here, aren't we? <laughs> As we do for the blatant sinners that we're learning to go out and love. Do you agree? Let's have as much love and grace and mercy for each other as we do for the world. Let's care about that mission of mercy more than what other people think. I see something else here. I see that we must not fall into the trap of minimizing our own sin or the forgiveness of Jesus. We'll see this in a story Jesus would tell. See, Simon was like, Jesus ain't no prophet. If he was a prophet, he wouldn't let this woman touch him. But what he's about to find out is that Jesus was reading his mind. (laughs) Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And here's the story. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Now, a denarii was like one day's wages for an agricultural Worker, Can you imagine 500 days of your wages or 50 days of your wages? Main point Jesus is getting at here is one person owed a whole lot more. All right? One 500 and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back. 
So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? I like that Simon answers with an I suppose. It's a little tentative because, you know, he's seen Jesus in these interactions before. He says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You've judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, which would have been a customary greeting for a guest, a rabbi. Simon didn't do that, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, which also would have been customary. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Now, as we unpack that story, it's easy to think that Jesus is saying she was guilty of more sin than Simon was. I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think they had a different kind of sin. And Simon was just as guilty as she was in his own way. The difference was she realized the need that she had. She realized she needed forgiveness. Simon had gone through years of minimizing his own sin. That's a dangerous place to be if we're minimizing our sin because it's not like so-and-so's or not as visual as, as that person's. Gary Enrig said this, because Simon trivialized his sin, he misunderstood what God's forgiveness meant. He missed out on the beauty of Jesus' forgiveness because he, he was so involved in making himself, at least to himself and maybe to others, look better than he really was. I think the encouragement to us is don't minimize your sin. I know it's painful to look at it. I know it's painful to admit it. But it's only when we admit it that we can truly appreciate his forgiveness. There's another truth I see in here. We must choose to hear the voice of Jesus above every other voice in our lives. After Jesus interacted with this woman, I want you to see what happened. He went on to say to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What I want you to see She's suddenly caught in this battle. We sometimes live in this battle too. There's the battle between what this man thinks of her and probably what the whole town is saying about her and what Jesus has said about her. You ever been caught in that battle? All right, she's got all the people in the town saying, this is a hopeless, sinful woman. And that's all she is. And then she's got Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Which voice would she listen to? If you've come to Jesus, which voice will you listen to? People around you say, that guy's worthless. That lady's hopeless. She's a waste of time. She's got too many needs. She's beyond help. But if you come to Jesus, listen to things that the Bible says. 
Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions and remembers your sins no more. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Which voice will you listen to this morning if you come to Jesus? The the condemning voices around you of those people, the enemy himself, or will you listen to the voice of Jesus and accept that promise of hope that he gives? There's a common phrase we we throw around, and I think it's a good phrase as far as it goes. It's, It's come as you are come as you are. And I think that's a beautiful picture of how we first come to Jesus, right? We're saved by grace through faith. Come as you are. But I think it's only a partial picture of what grace, what Jesus wants to do in our lives. I think there's a second half that when we look at the big picture that we often leave off. And I want to say the complete idea of grace ought to be come as you are but you'll never be the same. Come as you are, but you'll never be the same. Come as you are and trust in Jesus. He'll forgive you. He'll help you replace your sin with victory. That's why when Jesus encountered another woman, the adulterous woman in the streets, he said to her, go and sin no more, right? He didn't say stay the same. That's why the Beatitude said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? So they could stay poor in spirit? No, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? So they could stay hungry and thirsty for righteousness? No, for they would be filled. He wants to replace your shame with peace, your self-focus with his great love. Because when you're caught in shame, isn't it hard to think about other people around you because you're involved in this endless process of trying to to work through your own stuff. But there's a, a truth here. The more we contemplate Jesus' forgiveness in our lives, the more we will love. Do you hear that? The more you focus on Jesus' forgiveness of the things you've done, the things you've said, the more you will love the more you'll love him. And I think by extension, because you love him, the more you're going to love the people around you. If you're having trouble loving that spouse, that friend, that enemy, that coworker, why don't we start here? Focus on his forgiveness in your life as this woman did. Her love didn't save her. What it did is it showed that she had been saved. Verse 50, he said, your faith has saved you go in peace. So it's not just come as you are, all right, but nor is it fix yourself and then come to Jesus. Okay, that's another corruption of the gospel. You know what a lot of unbelievers, all they hear from church people on Facebook and in interactions is, all they hear many times is stop it. 
Stop doing this. Stop going there. Stop saying this. And I want to show you a great clip from a classic show that I think you'll appreciate. And then we'll unpack this idea. It's from the old Bob Newhart show. Any of you watch that? All right, who watched the originals? Who watched the reruns? Okay. Here it comes. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No. No, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm... Uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. So I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! New word, IT. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that... Sounds <laughs> Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no. <laughs> How many of us have felt like saying that to somebody? <laughs> but here's the deal. When, when that's all the non-Christian world hears from the church, that's not good news. All right, Jesus came to bring good news, and stop it is not good news for someone who has not yet come to Jesus and had the Holy Spirit in them. It's one more order that they cannot keep. That's all it is. The Bible says before we come to Jesus, we are dead in our sins. All right, dead people cannot stop sinning. Here's the idea. Faith is what opens the door to grace which opens the door to forgiveness and then to life change what they need from us is the good news of Jesus Christ and he'll do the changing Titus 2 verse 11 says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people a lot of us know that about grace it's what gives us the forgiveness when we come to God 
How many of us know this about grace? Verse 12, it teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I call that three-dimensional grace. It saves us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and it teaches us to say yes to righteousness. And I see this balance of come as you are, but you won't leave the same, this, this heart that we ought to have in a quote that I read this week, Fifty Shades of Grey, going viral right now, right? The Gospel Coalition had a quote that I think sums up the, the Jesus balance that I see in his life. The first half goes like this. If, if the church ever loses its love for sexual sinners, we have lost the heart of the gospel. That's the first half. Second part says, but if we ever lose our ability as a church, if we get to the place where we can't tell Christians not to see a movie like this, we've lost our freaking minds. I added the freaking. <laughs> you see the balance? All right. Yes, we love sexual sinners just as we love religious sinners. But we call out truth and growth and change for those who are walking with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. So as we wrap up, I want to look back at a couple of our main ideas. One, Jesus cared more about his Father's mission of mercy than what anyone else thought. All right, will you put his mission of mercy this week in your life above the thoughts of those around you? Let's say God's telling you to forgive that person. You tell somebody, God's leading me to forgive them. That somebody says, you're crazy. God's telling you to love this person. Someone around you saying, you're nuts. God's telling you to go somewhere in his name. Your friends are saying, are you insane? The father says, go, will you go? We put his mission of mercy above the voices around you. We got to choose to hear his voice above all the other voices in our lives. So I want to ask you, how will you seek to put the truth that he speaks into your life above all the white noise around you this week? How will you do that? Will it mean getting aside for 15 minutes a day with your Bible? Will it mean listening to some worship music? I don't know. Come as you are, but you'll never be the same. And we talked about the truth that the more you focus on Jesus' forgiveness in your life, the more you will love him and others. So how will you go about that this week? Will you set aside a time where you can focus intently on the ways he's forgiven you and the lengths he went to do that? I believe if you do, it will transform you, your relationship with him and those around you. Faith opens the door to grace, which opens the door to forgiveness and to life change. Father, I thank you for this powerful picture of Jesus who loves illicit sinners and religious sinners the same. There are two other times in the Gospel of Luke where you sat down and ate at a Pharisee's house, and Luke writes about it in length. You love the Pharisees just as you love the illicit sinners. You love sinners in the church just as much as you love the blatant sinners in our world. And sometimes those two categories are, are even mixed up, Lord, and you love us all. You long to, to meet us. You long for us to come as we are, but you also long to 
change us so that we'll never be the same. And I just pray that this morning, wherever we're at, that we would encounter you on your mission of mercy, that you would encounter us and that we would walk out of here changed by your love, your mercy, and your challenge in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.